Welcome to the Pact. I'm Mike Grimes here with Pat Avendroth, and today we're going to be talking about objections. We're continuing our objections series. This is 3.0. Objections <laughs> 3.0. These are objections to Christianity. It is 3.0, and I think we've got some good objections here, but I, I don't think there are any good objections. I, well, I don't think any of them are legit, right? Yeah. But these are some good ones, right? They, they are some good, good ones. Today we're going to be talking about, well, it's not reasonable to believe, so it's blind faith kind of thing. Yep, Christianity yep. is unreasonable. Christianity is intolerant. Uh, Christianity promotes the immoral. The Bible does. Uh, can't trust the Bible because so many bad manuscripts. Uh, the Trinity is illogical. Those mm. kinds of things. All those kinds of things. Yeah. Mike, I do like it that we're doing this series. I guess if I were just listening, but it's good for my own heart because we're not doing a deep dive on any of them. Right. Yes. But we're at least addressing them, and so hopefully it keeps our listeners. Um, oh, some of these things fresh in their minds. Right. Yeah. Not deep dive. Not addressing every little nook and cranny of these kinds of topics, but keeping it at the forefront of your minds, letting you know it's there, making you aware of these things, maybe even helping you begin to think through how you would handle or talk about them with somebody else. Yep. We are here to equip, hopefully, and so we want want it to be a good and clear podcast about objections. Yes. I think this will be the last installment unless this one becomes two-parter. <laughs> we got to talk really fast. Today. Right. I think we have six of these we're going to do today, some quicker than others. And uh, then the next episode will probably be something on why people don't believe. Oh, sure. Because yep. we haven't really gotten into that yet. Right. So let's jump in unless you have anything else we need to talk about. I don't about. have any chips to try. I don't have anything fun and exciting it for us is to try fun before to have we start. Different kinds of weird foods. It is. What's the uh, best thing you've eaten recently? Oh, you know, my best food experience, so I'm going to change the question. Okay. My best food experience is Molly has been dabbling in the world of sushi. Oh. Yeah. She's, oh, really? She's not a, she's not a seafood person. That's I can fun. see you breaking out almost. I'm just getting high just talking about, about it. it. But, oh, yeah. You know, and I think it's because she wants to travel and, and go to different places. And I was like, well, if we are at some seaport town somewhere oh, shit, right. and yeah. it's all about seafood, are you going to order chicken nuggets or what are you going to do? What are you going to do? So I think it's she has it. She has her, you know, her eyes set to Italy or something someday. Oh sure. And uh, so she's working on it. She had some yellowtail sashimi the other night. Oh, and she was a big girl. So preparing the whole thing, you know, like making it. No, we were at, we oh, were at you local, went to restaurants local and she's okay. Place. I thought you meant she's like into making it. No, no. Okay, don't push it. Oh, sorry. Okay, all right, <laughs> all right. So it's kind of fun. Just it's a whole new kind of world in the world of sashimi. That is cool. Yeah, she's and sushi. Yeah. I I've had vegetarian sushi. Contradiction with, you know, in terms. Right. All the little. I'm a Christian atheist. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I like that because for me, it's, you know, you get the soy and the wasabi thing. That's, yep. a, that's a fun experience. That's a good way to go. For but, sure. Yeah. Speaking of, have you ever seen the documentary on the sushi, uh, like, master guy in Japan? No, no. Oh, man. It's pretty fascinating. It's it's really amazing. It's uh, it's a small little restaurant somewhere in Japan, and he's had it there for many many years. And he's okay. training his son, and it's like highly sought after, hard to get reservations. It's kind of a cool little fascinating look into the sushi world. I think it's something like something dreams of sushi or something like that. I would love to go to Japan if I had someone to kind of hold my hand and be my guide and oh, take sure. me to all the cool restaurants. That'd be very fun. That would be nice. Fascinating. So, yeah. uh-huh. All right, enough about the fish world since I can't enjoy it, but let's talk about some objections <laughs> to Christianity. First one we're going to talk about today is faith is not 
reasonable. This comes from a misunderstanding of what we mean as Christians by faith. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you know, it's like this blind faith thing. Yes. And uh, we, we, this is not what Christians mean. When we talk about faith, we're not talking about close your eyes regardless of the facts right. and jump. Jump. <laughs> regardless of what you know about gravity, <laughs> yeah, put a blindfold <laughs> on and jump. What, blind faith is not what Christians mean. Sadly, sometimes Christians play into this sure, yeah. because they don't know any better. But this is, it's, it's kind of a favorite objection because it's so easy to address. Hmm. Yeah. But it's not a favorite objection because it's so prevalent. Hmm. Uh, so, so many... Non-Christians think that when we're talking about faith, we're talking about that which is irrational, Hmm. uh, not grounded in history, not grounded in reason. Uh, And no, Christianity is not like that. It goes back to that great Machen quote that faith is only as good as its object. So in Christianity, we have an object of our faith who is Jesus, the historic person who did historic things before eyewitnesses, verifiably so, so we're trusting in him. Yes, right. So we trust all the time in our world and in our culture. So if you, uh, what should we use as an illustration? If you're going to fly somewhere, right. you are trusting yep. that the plane is going to get you there, right. that the FAA or whoever it is that does their due diligence, hopefully, right. hopefully right. Right. Uh, and that the pilot you know, hasn't has gotten his or her sleep and yeah. you, but you are you are trusting them to be successful for you. Yes. Yeah. We we there's so many il- illustrations of trust. So in Christianity our faith is in someone who we think is trustworthy who is Christ the Lord. Right. So yes. for example in Luke chapter 1 verse 1 and following uh, Luke who's a trustworthy source Colossians 4 uh, says he's a medical doctor. So there's yeah. some legitimacy there. Right. Um, and it says in verse one, in as much as many have undertaken, so there's many, um, and they've undertaken yep. to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. So let's put the emphasis there. These things have been accomplished, but not in someone's heart, not so, in someone's imagination. Um, they've been accomplished among us. Yes. So, yep. And it's a compiled narrative. And there have been many who've done this. Then it says in verse two, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses. So they're not just eyewitnesses. They've seen, they've been eyewitnesses from the beginning and ministers or servants of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me. Also, Luke says, having followed all things closely, again, it's reputable, good reputation uh, for some time past. Oh, also underscoring the same thing to write an orderly account for you. Most excellent Theophilus, a real person, a historic person. Then he says in verse four that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Hmm. Yeah. So Dr. Luke is writing this gospel narrative so that Theophilus can have certainty or a greater level of certainty because of the historicity. So it's all about trustworthy. So don't trust in something that's not trustworthy. Faith means trust, but trust in that which is trustworthy. Right. Yeah. Biblical Christianity, please have this in your mind if you're a Christian. Biblical Christianity, which is a redundancy, Christianity, mm-hmm. which is in the Bible, uh, it's all about the trustworthiness of Christ. Right. It, it, it is the opposite of blind faith. Yes. There's really no place for that. That's why the Apostle Paul swings for the fence in 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, you know, if Jesus has not been raised from the dead, which uh, verifiably so before eyewitnesses, right, yep. uh, if he's not been raised, then your faith is futile, he says, and you are still in your sins. Hmm. 
Uh, of all people, you are most to be pitied, he says in verse 19. Yeah, right. If it's blind faith, it's idiot faith. Yes, right. <laughs> it's pitiful. <laughs> it's, it's pitiful faith. Yeah. Christians don't believe in belief. We don't have faith in faith. Right, it's not yes. blind faith. Um, and so this is an important one because as a missionary, and hopefully we're all seeing ourselves as missionaries in a certain sense, as ambassadors, um, we, we want to do a better job of communicating what we even mean by faith as Christians, because sometimes even Christians don't know. Right. So yeah. uh, getting ready to go to Israel. Have I mentioned that lately? You, yes. You have like every episode, every, <laughs> every moment yeah. I ever, ever possibly can. Right. So on the way to Israel, I, I love to take people there. And one thing I'll say over and over, probably too many times uh, is, you know, look, here, here's the place, the place, the historic place where Jesus earned salvation for you. Hmm. Yeah. And I like to say it for lots of different reasons. Number one, because I want people to remember that salvation is by works, yeah. the works of Christ, <laughs> but um, different episode. But I want to remind people that that this is an actual place. Yes, It's right. important that uh, even as Christians have been saying for a long time now, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, dead, and was buried. Right. Well, that's because Pontius Pilate is a historic person. It happened in a historic place. It didn't happen in Narnia. It didn't happen in Middle Earth. Right. Yeah. So the historicity of Christianity is crucial. And if we don't have the historicity, actually, we don't have Christianity. Yeah, right. Faith actually is very it's reasonable. very reasonable. Yeah. Yes. Yep. We, we function that way all the time. So next one, yes. next objection uh, yeah. is that Christianity is intolerant. Oh, yes. Intolerance. What do you think? I think it's not true. <laughs> I think most people are I think, intolerant. Yeah. I think people who say Christianity isn't uh, is intolerant are probably being intolerant, intolerant themselves right? toward Christianity. Right. Yes. So, yeah. Mike, I think you're intolerant because you don't eat seafood. Well, sure. <laughs> I would love to. It wouldn't work out, but hey. Okay. All right. Right. Anytime somebody believes that something is is actually objectively right or wrong, right? Yeah. They're they're, they're not tolerating the opposite. Yes. Yeah. And so they're they're being intolerant. So if we have truth claims, we're probably going to be labeled as intolerant. intolerant yeah. Right. Yeah. We don't want to be jerks. We don't want to be um, mean spirited about things. But the reality is, I mean, and Christianity is very accepting. All different kinds of people. Um, yes. We're not yep. looking for the the sexiest, most powerful, influential. <laughs> right. um, it's not for the great and mighty in their own estimation. Right. But Christianity is intolerant in the sense that. Yeah. Jesus is the Savior, and right. you need to believe in Jesus. And, yes. Um, certain things are sinful. Yes, And right. other things are not sinful. Certain things please God, certain things don't please God. Uh, I think it's one of the bigger accu accusations, should I say? Objections to Objections, Christianity. Yeah. Right. I'm going to do a different religion that's not so intolerant as Christianity. Right. And what they typically are going to actually mean by this intolerance is that it's something like it's, it's, it's bigot. You guys are bigots or homophobes. What a word. Right? Huh? Yeah. Bigot. Yeah. I, I looked up bigot because um, I think when they say this, that's exactly what they're saying, what yeah. you're saying. Right. A bigot is a person who is obstinately or unreasonably, we've already... Yeah, we've, we've already figured we've out already that figured Christianity that. Yeah. is reasonable. It is reasonable. So we're not bigots. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I feel good about we've myself. We've solved it right here. <laughs> a person who is obstinately or unreasonably attached to a belief, opinion, or faction, especially one who is prejudiced against or antagonistic toward a person or people on the basis of their membership of a particular group. Hmm. That's what Microsoft Word told me when hey. I clicked on I, I right-clicked. Define clicked. it. 
Right. There it is. There it is. So that's what they so, that's what they're typically getting at. I, I guess view. I don't want that label to be true of me. No. But at the same time, the Bible says that everyone is a sinner. Yes. Yep. So <laughs> that that is going after a particular group. Yep. Isn't it? Yes. Um and we're belonging to a different kind of particular group saying we're saying everyone is a sinner, but we're also part of the group where we're guilty of being sinners. Yes. So, oh man. Yeah. Uh, Christianity does affirm things as right and other things as wrong. Right. Therefore, yep. we are going to be labeled bigots, even though uh, hopefully it's not true as far as um, being unreasonably um, or right. obstinate or something like that. Right. But just know you're signing up for when you say, I think Jesus is right when he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, hmm. John 14, 6. Yeah. You've probably, by our culture, you, you probably earned the badge. Yeah, I'm right. Exactly so. When we tell people there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, That's, you're probably getting the label. You're getting the label. Yep. I'm not sure of it. Labeled as intolerant. Yes. So, and in one sense, deservedly so. Yeah. But who am I going to believe? Who, who am I going to believe other right. than the one who was raised from the dead? Right. I think I'm going to believe in Jesus, go for Jesus, the one yeah. who did the things before the eyewitnesses. Uh, and isn't it amazing, right, that there is a way? Yes. Yeah, right. <laughs> that there is a way to have eternal life, that there is a mediator. And so I'm not ashamed of him. I'm not ashamed to say that. And I'm not ashamed to say to anyone and everyone, all different kinds of sinners, as I am one, as yes. a fellow sinner, right. if you trust in Jesus, the righteous, God will see you as if you're perfect, even though you're not. Mm. And he will take away your sins, even though you still have them. They won't be held against you. It's mm. good news, but there's going to be spin put on it, and you're going to be labeled as probably a bigot. Yes. Yep. Or it's going to be tied to our morality. It's going to be, well, because of what you believe about sex, mm. um, that sex is for a biological born, biological male and female, if you will, right. um, as a married man and woman. Uh, sexual relationship, which is good according to the Bible. It's actually celebrated, but deviation outside of that is sinful. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 19, um, he created them from the beginning and he made them male and female and goes on to elaborate. We, we believe that as Christians. Yes, right. Um, and we think it's what leads to human flourishing. Uh, it also is what will be good for you uh, and not cause things like guilt and pain. It's good for other people as well. And so we unashamedly say, yeah, we, we're, we're with Jesus. Mm -hmm. um, and that's going to mean that deviation from that is sinful. It's going to mean you might label me as a hateful bigot. But at the end of the day, it is what I believe because it's true. That's what Christianity promotes. Yep. Yep. For sure. And isn't it amazing, Mike, that it, ha it has, where it's been followed, has led to all kinds of happiness, has led all kinds of joy, removal of guilt, uh, and human flourishing, uh, and it's been widely recognized as such until five minutes ago. Yeah, right. And then the culture changes about what's right and wrong, oh, yeah. and now all of a sudden, uh, the Christians are the bad ones uh, who are to be hated and despised among all people, yeah. most of all. Yeah, Fascinating. Kind of right? weird, kind of unfortunate, kind of sad. Yep. Um, but it is what it is. What it is. Yeah. Maybe it would be helpful for you to consider people who, again, five minutes ago, figuratively speaking, uh, had no problem with uh, sexual the sexual morality outlined by the Bible. Hmm. 
But now notice they've shifted and they've changed and they've gone from maybe saying they're Christian or at least being tolerant toward Christians, and now they're anti-Christian. So the very same people, at least ask yourself the question, why? Hmm. What, what changed? Yeah. So more than likely what changed is cultural pressure changed on them. Uh, and so they must uh, now buckle under the pressure. So just uh, not very long ago, oh yeah, that's good. That's right. And now all of a sudden it's wrong. Uh, the Bible didn't change. Jesus no, yeah. didn't change. Um, but now I'm under pressure. So now I'm being tested right. and yep. now I'm showing my real cards. I'm showing my real heart. I'm showing what I really truly believe or prioritize. And now it's maybe getting me canceled hmm. or maybe yep. less money or right. less fandom or less clicks on my YouTube channel uh, or less likes or subscriptions. And so now I'm going to change my theology or change my perspective on morality. Uh, that that's pretty unethical when yep. you really stop and think about it. Right. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So we could talk about people who are famous who've done this, but we won't because we're nice. We're nice. We're nice here on the Paxum. We like to be nice. <laughs> it's true. Isn't that nice? <laughs> it's true. It's nice to be nice. It is. All right. Let's move to a third objection here on Objections 3.0. This is number three. And the objection is the Bible promotes the immoral. And there are numerous ones here. So I wonder, as you're listening to this, what would people mean by saying the Bible promotes things that are immoral? How would you respond? What do people have in mind? First of all, I'd like to say the Bible does contain lies. Sure. It does. (laughs) It records records liars who are lying, but (laughs) it doesn't promote lies. Right. Yes. Good, true, or false. Yeah. And it records the immoral. Yes. It records a lot of immoral yes, things. Yes, it does. Yes, you will read about this. We as Christians would not say it is promoting immorality, even though it's recording immorality. Yes. We would also say that we want to pose this rhetorical question when people say, okay, I don't believe in Christianity. I'm not a Christian because the Bible promotes that which is immoral. A good initial response is who decides what moral, what right. is moral and what's immoral. Yeah. Oftentimes they're going to use the Bible's morality yep. to judge the Bible's morality. Yes, right? They steal from God and his world and try to make it their own and they do. They d- do. deny him so in the process. Keep that conversation rolling as you're talking to people who object to Christianity. That's yeah. why it's good, good to be a good listener. Right. Yep. So we, we can address a few of these. So one would be someone who might say, I, I think the Bible is immoral and promotes immorality because it is pro-genocide. Yep. yep. So you have the killing of people and... Uh, you know, we, we don't want to kill people. And yet the Bible says at a, a certain historic time that the Israelites were to slaughter certain people. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Devote them to complete destruction. There you go. Deuteronomy chapter 20. You should be aware of this. It's in the Bible. Deuteronomy 20 verses 16 and following. But in the cities of these peoples that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance, you shall save alive nothing that breathes, but you shall devote them to complete destruction. The Hittites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites and all the otherites. It doesn't say that. (laughs) As the Lord your God commanded. So there it is, that they may not teach you to do according to their abominable practices that they have done for their gods. And (laughs) so you sin against the Lord your God. So it's not without purpose. There actually is a purpose there. Right. But it does say, this is God commanding uh, them to do this. Some people say, hey, uh, they must must have misunderstood God because God certainly (laughs) would would not have said that. 
Um, or maybe this is not to be taken literally or something like that. Um, we got to do something to try to get God off the hook. I've had a conversation with someone, uh, extended family member who basically said they, they just misunderstood. (laughs) So clearly that would never be what God would want. And I like what Michael Kruger says about this in his book, surviving religion. One Oh one. He says, God doesn't want you to let him, God doesn't want you to try to get him off the hook. He doesn't want to (laughs) leave God on the hook. So right. Yeah. So, and why would we say that? What, 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 what should we say when a, a, a friend says, Hey, I can't buy buy the Bible because of Deuteronomy 20 and it's the slaughtering of the innocents. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, first think about how we're all deserving of judgment. Oh, so there are no innocents. Right. There right? are no, it's the right. Oh, there's no one good. Maybe we're asking the wrong question. Right. If the yeah. wages of sin is death and all have sinned. Right. But that's a theological. That is theological. I'm sorry. But oh, that's the but truth this is the pact, and that's right? what we do. <laughs> yeah. And things are theological, folks. Right. Yeah. So let's maybe stop. Don't panic. Guess what? Everyone deserves death and condemnation. Right. All have sinned, and uh, maybe we should be asking ourselves the question: Why not everybody? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Why? Yeah. God doesn't owe anyone compassion patience. He owes everyone condemnation because of sin. Uh, and isn't it amazing that he's patient? Right. Yeah. You know, isn't it amazing that he's patient with anyone? Yep. So it's not why, why judgment? It's why not judgment immediately yeah. why, or yeah. sooner. Yeah. And we see in this case, he uses human instruments. He doesn't always do so, but he does so here. Uh, it seems to me, Mike, that this is really an objection to God being a judge. Yeah, I think so. We don't like judgment. Nope. Um, and so somehow let's use God against God, God's morals against God, yep. and let's sit and judge him because we don't like judgment. Right, exactly. Which means we're probably saying more about ourselves yes. than, oh, we're, yeah, than for we're sure. actually saying about yeah. God. I mean, it's it's another way that we just want to be God ourselves. Yep. Yeah. Be in charge. Ultimately. Be aware of the objection, though. The right. Bible does promote, in this case... Um, the killing of these people, um, and God is using the Israelites to do it, not because the Israelites are so good either. Yeah. So more could be yeah. said about this, but yeah. let's move on to another one. Yeah. Um, and that next one would be uh, something people say is immoral because they say the Bible promotes slavery. Yes. Yep. We hear that one. Yep. Probably sure. should be aware of this one, uh, especially in light of the fact that Ephesians six five says things like bond servants, doulos, slaves in the New American Standard. Yep. Slaves obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Mm-hmm. So. There's that in the Bible, which we should talk about, and we will. Not only that, there have been Christians who have had slaves. Uh, And so there we have it. People say Christianity is bad because of what the Bible says and because because what Christians have done. So... So, Mike, is the Bible pro-slavery? No, it's not pro-slavery. Not at all. No. I, I, don't, I don't think it is. I don't think the Bible is pro-slavery. I think we can see that when we read the Bible with uh, not so much of an agenda to be attacking the Bible, but when we're looking at things in context, sure, yeah, um, historical context, things like that, and we give the Bible, at least in a certain sense, if you want to give, if you want to give it the benefit of the doubt. Maybe that's not what we should do, but if, if you want to read it in a positive light, you can. If you want to nitpick, uh, that's not the right word. If you want to isolate certain statements, you can, you can accomplish whatever sure. you want to accomplish. Oh, most definitely. So yeah. let's, let's remember this. The Bible teaches that all human beings are made in God's image and therefore equal. Yes. 
There's no way around that. In no uncertain terms, everyone is an image bearer who is a human being. So we're going to start there. Right. Yep. Uh, let's also acknowledge that different forms of slavery ha- have existed throughout the ages. Um, but the Bible is not a promoter a promoter of any of it. Right. Um, Joseph was sold into slavery. Uh, that's yep. that is not painted in the Bible as a positive. No, no right. way in a quadzillion readings could you say, <laughs> right. "Isn't it good he was sold into slavery?" Because right. no. you know what, the Bible's pro-slavery. Right, right. When you read of the account in Genesis, you don't get the sense that it's positive. No, no. Okay, uh, the Israelites are enslaved to the by the Egyptians. God delivers them out of slavery. But wait a second. I thought slavery was good. Yeah, if it's good, leave them there, right? (laughs) It's not. He delivers them out. He redeems them out of it because it's not a good thing. And then we move our way into the New Testament and we see that in Christianity, there is equality. It's stressed and re-stressed regardless of what kind of person you are, what regardless of your social status. Galatians 3.28 says there is neither slave nor free. We're all one in Christ Jesus. That does not sound racist because it's not racist. It's not pro-slavery. Uh, it's pro-equality in all the greatest senses, right? Yes, exactly. Yes. Very much. So, so what about the, the Ephesians 6.5? Right? Oh, you brought that back up. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, first of all, I think we should say what it is is not the transit, transatlantic slave trade that we've been familiar with in more recent days in our country. Yep. Um, so let's, it's not apples to apples. Let's start there. Okay. Um, let's also start by acknowledging the fact that the Bible does talk about, well, not even the Bible in the first century when Ephesians was written, um, a whole lot of people were servants. Yes. A right. whole lot of people were bond servants. I actually think, though you can translate it slave, and some people have been favorable to doing that, I think given the baggage of English readers, uh, and we're going to have a tendency to read it in our context instead of the first world context, right. um, first uh, first century context, I think bondservant is better. Yep. Because at least it, it, it I don't want to say masks, but it, it nuances, it brings more of a nuanced translation. Sure. Because you don't immediately go, oh, slave, therefore trans, transatlantic slave trade. I, I prefer that translation. I think it's a good way to go. Sure. But we don't have to hide behind it. The idea is it's, it's not apples to apples. It's different. It's different, right. Yeah. And uh, don't think, oh, everyone back then, you had the upper class, you had the middle class. Mm-hmm. Most people were middle class. And then you might have had the lower uh, class of people. Uh, it's probably not a whole lot of middle class. I'm not saying there wasn't any. Mm. There's a good chance you would have been a servant. Yes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, to someone in some way. Uh, and so there, it, it, don't paint with a broad brush. There would have been people who were in good servant relationships, bad servant relationships, mediocre yep. servant relationships, yeah. maybe not exactly like, but maybe more like there are people who have good job situations, hmm. bad job situations, right. okay yep. job situations. There's going to be a lot of diversity in the whole mix. It, it's not what we think of when we think of the horrific stuff that we've experienced in our world. Mm, yeah. But again, not saying there, w- there wasn't horrific stuff in the right. first century. Yes. There was. Yes. Um, but they're not the same things. Right. Yeah. Let's also keep in mind um, that the Bible does call Jesus Lord. Mm. Okay. Yep. Not, we're not equals. Yep. There, there is a distinction. Right. Um, and so, and, and he's a master. Yes. And he is our Lord and savior. 
but he's a kind, generous, perfect master. Yeah, right. Uh, he's not a tyrant kind of master like sin is. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes, sometimes the way people are. So if you're just reading, then we, we could talk about what we've experienced in more recent days in our country. And we can say, Hey, look, Christians did some wrong things, bad things, sinful things. Yes. Right. Christians are not perfect, but you know what? Let's also notice the people who did so much to say, Hey, this isn't right. This isn't biblical. This is sinful. This is wrong. The Wilbur forces of the world. Yep. God used, and he used other men and women in profound ways as well. Yes, for sure. I like what Kruger says in his book, Surviving Religion 101. The Bible needs to be read carefully within its original cultural context rather than to be read through the lens of modern categories and concerns. Hmm. And when reading it contextually, one will see that the Bible is anything but pro-slavery. Yeah. And hopefully we've given you listeners a little taste of that when we, we've pointed out the obvious kind of aha or the obvious duh. Right. When you read Genesis, do you think the Joseph thing is good? Right. No, Nobody it's does. Not. No, you can't think no. that. No. So if, if you want to be a Bible hater, you can nitpick, cherry pick, whatever you're supposed to call it. I don't know yeah. what kind of pick. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and try to paint it in a bad light. But I think a reasonable reader... Uh, is not forced to do that. Yeah, no. Now, another one, uh, another objection here with the immoral, the Bible promotes immoral things, uh, would be that some would say that the Bible is pro-misogyny. Oh, it's oppressive against yeah. women. Yes, because, you know, men are superior in the Bible. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I would like to just have my wife on for this one, just to laugh at the objection. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that would be anecdotal. But right. ne- ne- nevertheless... Um, let's make no offend, uh, no, atten- let's make, let's make no offense here. <laughs> let's make no attempts to defend God here either. Hmm, yeah. Just, just start in Genesis, right? At the very beginning, men and women are image bearers, image bearers and yes. they're equally yeah. so. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. female. He created yeah. them. Yeah. So we're we're often running already in Genesis chapter one right. and verse twenty seven. Then we, if we want to jump to the other testament in into um, the new covenant era, Galatians three twenty eight. I've already referenced it. I'll reference it again. Yes. Yep. Uh, neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. We're all one in Christ Jesus. Yep. So we are spiritual equals. Uh, if you read the Bible, you have masculine kind of um, descriptors for God. You also actually have the feminine in the positive. So sure, yeah. Wisdom is portrayed as feminine, um, and so feminine is good. Yes. Masculine is good. Yeah. They have their place, even in understanding God and his world and his ways. So not buying it, not buying it for a second. Right. Then we we did an episode on divorce, Jesus, divorce, and remarriage. And showed how the Old Testament was for even in a, a society that was more patriarchal by what was happening in their day in their society. And the Bible goes out of its way to treat women with dignity and kindness, if you will. Yeah. And Jesus basically uh, sides with that, if you will. You can check out that episode. It's episode 47, Jesus, Divorce and Remarriage. Yep. Yeah. Now we let's be honest though we do see that they're not the same right, right. men and yes. women are yeah. not the same and yeah. in our world maybe that is going to call uh, what what call, deserve us that's not the right <laughs> word 
That's going to earn gonna, us right. the label of yes. you, you're misogynist. Yes, kind of right. Yeah. No, spiritual equals. We might be different though, because there's right. a difference between men and, and women, women yeah, masculine and they feminine. Are, yes. First Peter three seven talks about this, but it doesn't do it in a bad way. It doesn't in a positive way. We see a difference between uh, men and women and functioning in the church in certain ways, as far as eldership, right. as far as yes. pastoral office. Um, but it's not demeaning or denigrating toward women at all. That's First Timothy chapter two, verses eleven and following. Yeah. So, so what we get in, when we read through Scripture is that men and women, yes, they're spiritually equal. Yep. But they have different roles that they serve. And if you try to do the exact same roles, have fun with that. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> back, that's back to the great. human flourishing, <laughs> right. it doesn't work out so great. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So yeah. not the greatest objection, but it's a serious objection. Objection, and you should be aware of it. Yes. Yep. For sure. Uh, okay. Let's keep moving on our list here of objections. This is uh, a fourth one here. Things like the Trinity are illogical. So. Someone might say... Can we just skip this one because it's not true? Oh, no, wait. Right, we're yeah. answering the objections. <laughs> yeah, right. Go ahead, Mike. So some might say, that. well, that doesn't make sense. That's illogical. That's crazy. That's bogus. I can't figure that out. I can't understand it. So therefore, Christianity is out. Okay. So right. let's do this one quickly. We say, because we've, we've done other episodes on Trinitarianism, Trinity, right. yep. we say as Christians, there is one God and he exists eternally in three persons. Notice we don't say that that's not actually an illogical statement. It may be a transcendent statement that sure. causes us to say, I have zero illustrations. I can't relate to it. Um, we, we might say that, but based upon what the Bible teaches, we say uh, there is one eternal God who has always been God. He always will be God. Uh, what we also acknowledge that the father is God, the son is God, and the spirit is God. Hmm. So far, we've not defied any laws of logic right. or rules of logic because um, the Father is not the Son and the Son is not the Father, etc. You get the idea. Right, right, right. So we're not saying one God and three gods. No. We're no. saying one God, three, three persons. persons. Yep. Uh, it's not illogical, but it is uh, impossible to perfectly illustrate right. because yes. there's only one God. Yes, Right. So there is mystery involved, but it's not contradu- contradiction. Yeah. It's not it's contradiction. Not- <laughs> And it's not a contradiction either. <laughs> right. It's neither one of those. Right, yeah. And so, so, so the trouble becomes when people say, well, I can't understand that, and you make this effort to try to explain it yes. using some terrible analogy <laughs> because there is no analogy. Yes. Then it just only furthers their it objection. It furthers the confusion. Right. So we're careful about the way so, we speak right. of Trinitarianism. Yes, so, mystery. Yep. Let's not say any more about that here because it's not an episode on Trinitarianism. Sure. But no Christian who's ever thought about this or been well-read has ever said uh, one God and three gods yeah, right. or three persons and one person. That's actually not what we're saying. Right. Exactly. Okay. Okay. Next objection here is the Bible cannot be trusted. Oh, okay. I guess uh, we probably should close down the podcast. Yep. We better shut her down. <laughs> we better close it in not prayer because Christianity is <laughs> not true. Bible can't because be trusted. You can't you can't trust the Bible. Yeah. Well, people say this because there are contradictions in the Bible, supposedly. Yep. And Mike, when yep. someone tells you, when they say to you, yeah. so I can't believe the Bible, I can't be a Christian because there are so many contradictions in the Bible, what's your first knee-jerk reaction to the person? I typically want to know what they're referring to. <laughs> right? Will you give me an example, please? <laughs> That's right. So so w- which one do you have in mind? So given that there are so many of them, yes. which one do you have in mind? And some people actually might be a little bit more learned. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, but typically, oftentimes, pe- when you say that, people don't even have one. So right. maybe you, yes. 
in the Pactum verse can have one for them. Yes. You can supply Here's the, one for you that's that you right. might be able to work through with them. How about when the women went to the tomb? They when they go right? when they go to the tomb and so yep, it's I just this, read this on an atheist site. Yes. So they would say contradiction. Mark sixteen has three women. Okay. Matthew twenty eight has two women. Uh-oh. And Luke twenty four ten has five at least. Oh, So much (laughs) as if no one has ever made this observation before. The reality is Christians have been reading the Gospels for a long time now uh, with their brains turned on, hopefully some of them, lots of them, men and women reading the Bible thoughtfully saying, isn't it amazing how three different writers Mm -hmm. with three different audiences would capture things from sometimes different details and different perspectives? (gasps) It's like, it's like different angles. It's like different of angles a of a camera. Right. So I've done security on movie sets before and TV sets, and I think it's interesting. There are different cameras here because they're capturing different details yep, for uh, sure. because it makes for a better viewing or a yes. better account. Right. So remember this. A difference is not equal to a contradiction. Mm, yep. Could be, but not necessarily. Right. So some are reco- – well, each one is – with a different agenda recording the same events. And guess what? One, Matthew could acknowledge two of the women, but there could have actually been more women there. Right. I was going to say, does that mean there aren't oh, more? Oh, my goodness. That's fascinating. Absolutely amazing <laughs> that we could actually make some sanctified sense out of this whole thing. Folks, if you really don't want to believe the Bible to be true, you can come up with all kinds of reasons. Oh, for sure. But you can also be a reasonable person and see that there are differences, and differences do not equal contradictions. Right. So what about when they're talking about the Bible can't be trusted, when we bring up that uh, they might say, hey, there are a lot of changes to the manuscript. It's, yeah, it's changed right. over time. So how can we trust that? How do we know it's right? So the Bart Ehrmans of the world and all right. of his disciples, that there are 200,000 to 400,000 differences between all of the different manuscript copies. <gasps> Here we go again. We're doing that a lot on this episode. <gasps> oh, my. Yes. So, And what do we want to do? We want to say, oh, you know what? He's right. What? what? He's right. Well, well I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to phone a friend here. This is Kruger <laughs> again in Surviving Religion 101. If you can't tell by now, we think it's a helpful little book it is, yep. when it comes to these things. He says, is that true? You might be surprised to know that the answer is yes. There are certainly this many differences and maybe even more Whoa. depending on how you do your counting. But before you begin to panic, he says there's more to the story. Statistics are only meaningful when you consider the larger context. And here are a few things that put those numbers into perspective. Mm-hmm. So things like, well, there are differences because there are differences in spelling. spelling. Yeah. Okay, so we've got spelling errors. In the first century, they made spelling errors. Spell- I can't believe it. I'm so glad for spell check. Yes, I, I make so many <laughs> spelling errors. I've failed me a few spelling tests oh, yeah. in my short little life. Yep. Uh, so largely the differences, folks, largely the differences in manuscripts are things like spelling differences. Yep. Yeah. So then what happens is you have numerous manuscripts, you have all of these different manuscripts and you, and you say, oh, I can figure it out. There's a spelling error here right. and I can tell you what the error is because I can look at the other manuscripts and say, here's the correct spelling. There's an error in this particular manuscript right. of how they spelled a Greek word. Yes. Okay. Yep. So, spelling. so they got the Omicron before the alpha or the alpha before the Omicron or something like that. Yes, exactly. So... <laughs> 
Mike's giving I me the know. look like I it's all know. Greek to me. Yeah, exactly. So also word order sometimes, like, okay, oh, is sure. it Jesus Christ or is it Christ Jesus? Yeah. Oh, well, if we don't know the difference, we probably can't understand what the intent of the Bible was. Right. No. But the same thing can be said. Now we have the numerous manuscripts and we can figure out that the scribe should have said Jesus Christ here, not Christ Jesus or vice versa. Right. Because of manuscript support based upon the age of the manuscript, based upon the uh, number of manuscripts, you get the idea. Right. Sometimes they also use synonyms or they would substitute a different word uh, or a different name. Hmm. So it would, they might say Simon instead of Peter or Peter instead of Simon. Well, we have enough evidence to know that it's talking about the same guy. Hmm. Yeah. Now, right. Now one is correct. One should be in and one should be out. But what are we going to do? How are we going to solve the problem? We're going to say we have such an exceptionally large number of manuscripts and we're going to check check one with the other and one with the other. You get the idea. It's not rocket science to figure out what's correct. Exactly so. Yeah. So if, if I have a manuscript, because there's so many differences, one says in Mark one fourteen because this is a real example, the gospel of God. And a different manuscript or different manuscripts say the gospel of the kingdom of God, hmm. both can't be legitimate. Which one is legitimate? Well, that's why we do our research. That's why we do what's called textual criticism yep. so that we can be honest with people and say the older, better manuscripts or the plethora of overwhelming right, yeah. numbers of manuscripts say the gospel of God. They don't say the gospel of the kingdom of God. We wish that... Uh, transcriber that right. scribe would not have elaborated based upon other passages right. yes didn't say something heretical but thought maybe people would benefit from filling it in a little bit <laughs> right we don't do that yeah, yeah. right don't do so that. we put that scribe in a corner yes. and say no Just don't do that anymore. no more of that oh <laughs> uh, it's a legitimate study it's called textual criticism it's yeah. not criticizing the bible but it's trying to criticize the different manuscripts to try to figure out which ones which are ones? the legitimate ones mm-hmm. And it's a whole legitimate good study. It's not anti-Bible. It's actually pro-Bible unless it falls into the hands of those who have an agenda to be anti-Bible. Yeah, exactly. So, and I do like what Kruger says, and then we'll round out this one. He says, the high number of textual variations, because there is a high number, is due not to a badly copied text, but to the fact that we have so many manuscripts. Yeah, I think that's, that's awesome. Right. Fascinating to think about. Mm -hmm. If you didn't have so many manuscripts, there wouldn't be so many. There wouldn't be so many variants. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It only adds credit to the fact that we have a Bible that we can believe and know that is true. Yep. And when you compare the manuscript evidence and support in all of the different manuscripts that we have for the New Testament, for example, in comparison to other first century kinds of documents, uh, we're talking thousands compared to, uh, you know, 20 Yes. Or, or, right. That's yeah. off the top of my head, but yeah. it it really is that kind of difference. Yep. Yep. So because it was popular. Yes. Because people wanted to hear what it had to say and it was legitimate. Yep. All right, let's finish up our episode here of Objections 3.0. This one Constantine gave us our Bible. Oh, that rascally rabbit. <laughs> 
oh, it's usually form formulated in some sort of you know Constantine, you know this the emperor, you know power monger, and you know, he wanted to keep the peace. And so what yeah. did, what did he do? Uh, and this this shows itself in something like the Da Vinci Code. Oh sure, okay? yeah. So yeah. from Dan Brown popularizing something like this, he wasn't the first one, but he definitely um, popularized it for our current day. And all kinds of people think, oh yeah, the books in the Bible they were decided by Constantine uh, at, at the Council of Nicaea. AD 325 and there hold on folks just hold <laughs> just hold on a second right if you know anything about church history at all you'll you'll say oh the council of nicaea the nicene creed, nicene creed. oh yeah that was all about what, the books of the bible that was all about that, oh, that was the canon uh, council uh, we're, we're saying it that way because no. Council of Nicaea is about Christology. Yes, right, yeah. So it's about Christ and the deity of Christ, and uh, it's not about the Bible. Well, you know what I'm saying. Right, yes, right. It's not it, deciding it, canon. No, it it's, wasn't it's canon not even stuff. about that whole deal. And so, and yet, sometimes, you know, fiction gets a huge, you know, amount of traction. And how many people think, you know, it, it was decided by Constantine? Yeah. Uh, no. No. Not no, the no, case. So, no. anyway, so in reality, it's just not even a good argument at all. Right. But a lot of people believe that. So at least know your history well enough to be able to spot the argument and say that that's not even what it's about. We can talk about how we got the 66 books that are part of the canon. That's sure. a whole nother discussion. Yep. Right. But it certainly didn't come from the Council of Nicaea. <laughs> Hello. Pe yeah. People will believe just about anything if it fits their narrative, if, it's fit, if it fits their agenda. Uh, but you, as a Christian, couldn't do a better job of responding to people's criticisms and objections just by knowing some basic things. Right, exactly. And maybe we should answer, we should end, Mike, by saying uh, the obvious, uh, and that is that biblical Christianity has better answers to life's big questions and promotes goodness, beauty, love, and flourishing better than any of its rivals. Oh, yeah. And yeah. so we don't want to argue for Christianity based upon pragmatism. You know what? It works. But let's not forget, folks, yeah. it works. Yeah, it does. <laughs> okay? We, we, yes, we want to defend the historicity of the Bible and the resurrection and the legitimacy of these things, that the Bible is not pro-misogyny, it's not pro-slavery, it's not any of those kinds of bad things. But at the end of the day, also, let's not forget the fact that it brings you great happiness to mm. know that your sins are forgiven. Mm. You don't have to be feeling guilty all of the time. You actually have a basis for happiness. You have a basis for peace with God. Um, you can hide the sharp objects and put them away once and for all right, yeah. because your sins are not held against you anymore. Mm. That when uh, you do the right thing and you act morally according to God's laws because it's God's world, it doesn't mean you'll always be happy. But you'll be a lot more happy. Yes, right. Yeah. Right? Yes. You'll always be happy when Christ returns and makes everything right and when he brings about perfect justice and all of those things. But in the meantime, guess what? Yeah. You're going to be a You're, lot happier yes. when you do things according to the creator's design for you. Yes. Yeah. Um, 
And if you think we're not telling you the truth, just see how it's working out for people who want to deviate from God's design. Uh, They're not the happiest people in the world. Right. Nope, they're not. Okay. Well, thanks for joining us here for Objections 3.0. We're thankful for you and being for you being a part of the Pactumverse. You can be in touch with us online, Instagram, Twitter. You can always email us any questions you might have for future Pactum Responsum episodes. Connect at thepactum.org. We'll see you here next time on the Pactum. <laughs>